These are the words of the Spirit as spoken by Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks to you for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you, Dave. It's good to see everybody today. Good job, Mike. I do not know how you do that, where you can try and keep up with the recording that's going on. And But uh, good job today. I appreciate you trying to improve our singing. I think that's one of the best things that we can do. It's our participation, and singing is so important. You see that in the New Testament. You see that's what they did when they were in prison. You see that's what they did when they were together, and so I appreciate all of you singing out today. We want to talk today a little bit about Jesus holding his church together. And we talked about he, how he holds everything, and uh, specifically we want to talk about church today. And what does that really mean for us? What does it mean he holds it together? Because, frankly, it's, you know, this side's doing a little better than that side, <laughs> uh, holding things together, because at least there's, you know, several people here, all socially distanced, <laughs> spread out, mask up. And I've got three teenagers. You guys have on masks. Good job. Glad to see that. Okay. So there's still room for people to come in, but it seems as if, okay, what happened to the big days when we had, you know, four or five hundred people in here and there was everybody singing and uh, it just seems a lot different. Is Jesus holding his church together today? And so the passage from Ephesians is one of the most powerful passages. He's talked about the blessing of God and about how great this blessing is, this spiritual blessing that all spiritual blessings come from God. 
And he goes through a long list in this first chapter of Ephesians about how they're all found in Christ, that we have been chosen to be holy, we have chosen to be blameless and redeemed and adopted and forgiven by the riches of his grace, by all of the things that God has done, this plan to unite us all together in Christ things in heaven, things on earth. We have this inheritance from him. And on top of that, then he comes down to the passage that Dave has read for us. And so he says, for this reason, for the reason of all of these blessings that you're able to see. So for this reason, he says, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your love. I've heard of who you are in Christ. I'm so thankful for you that you may know this, this hope that you've been called to, that you may know that you have this inheritance, but not just an inheritance, this glorious riches of inheritance. And so he begins to describe that, this power that is toward us, this greatness of God, and we're able to see all of these things. And, and he says, we realize these great things come through Jesus Christ. And then that's what he's trying to describe. We realize those great blessings aren't just extra or added on or came out of somewhere. They all came specifically through Jesus. And so I want you to see from Scripture today what it talks about when it talks about Jesus holding his church together. And he says the same power that has worked in Christ now works in us. And he's talking about incredibly big things about how huge this is. God gave him to be head over the church, but this power works in Christ when he raised him from the dead, when he seated him at the right hand of the throne of God, when he put him above all rule and dominion and power and authority and name in every age that ever has been or ever will be. Well, that's pretty big, isn't it? Yeah, that's big. Uh, in fact, that's so big. It's just huge. He says you've, he's put everything under his feet, and that's the guy who is head of this church. Wow. That's amazing to think about that that's the guy who's head of this church, and he has done it because of his cross. Well, that's just a little bit staggering to think about how he did it because of his cross. And he gave him as head over all things to the church because of this death on the cross, because he is, the church is his body, the church is the fullness of Jesus. And he's talking in such huge terms about what Jesus has been able to do and what Jesus has been able to accomplish, about how he is this eternal purpose or this eternal person over everything, life and death and heaven and earth and all of these things. It's just so big. It's just hard for us to grasp sometimes when we think about coming here on a Sunday and sitting down and going, okay, it's another COVID day, and I can't be within six feet of anybody, or I've got to at least cover up some of the ugly with a mask. That may be a good thing for some of us. As you think about that, though, it's, it's really difficult sometimes to see the glory of God and the greatness of an eternal creator over all rule, dominion, power, authority, above every name, 
in all forever and ever as we think about the limitations that we have. And so with those limitations, it becomes very, very difficult. I want you to realize that that's the place where Jesus is, first of all. That's the first thing. That's who's over his church. That's who is the head of everything. Because he's over all of this. And what an amazing thing to realize how great God is. But I want to take you back for a little bit into exactly how this happened. In fact, the first time we see it being mentioned is in Matthew 16. And starting in verse 15, he talks to Peter and he's asked, you know, who do people think I am? Which is just, you know, an opinion poll question. But then he turns it from that into, well, who do you think I am? And so Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so it comes just after the confession. Who do you think I am? Well, I believe you're, you're the Son of God. How do you say all of those big things we were talking about? And he's the Son of the living God. That's who you are. That We've seen the miracles. We've seen all the great things that have happened. We've seen how you've taught and the way that you are with people. And we realize that there's something about you that's different from all of us, from everything, from everybody. And we see this great power that you have over, over every situation. And so we believe you're the son of the living God, and we're going to listen to you. It's based on what he believes. And that's going to be a key thing for us to realize. He says that this is not just you making this up. In fact, you didn't come to this conclusion on your own. He says, God has revealed this. It's been revealed from heaven. And so heaven wants to say these things, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the one who's over it all. And Jesus says, I will build my church. He didn't say, I'll give it to disciples to build it. It isn't a mistake. It isn't something unplanned. It isn't that he wasn't able to construct it. He did it exactly as he wanted to. Because it takes his death on a cross first before he can make people where we are acceptable to God. Where we were able to follow him and be Christian. And so his every intention from the very beginning was that he would build his church from heaven. He came here, and he lived on this earth, and he died, and he made this sacrifice so that now he is able to be in heaven, and from heaven he builds his church. And so we are not just sitting here with an old book thinking, okay, now what do we do? Jesus is alive and active as he builds his church from heaven, and that's always the way he has wanted us to look at this. 
There's this huge power of all of the universe, and even bigger than universe. That's just his little creation, but so much bigger than that. And that is where we are. And this church is the extension of Jesus as he walked here on earth. It's incredible to think of all of this thing. The, the head decides and the body does, right? Have you ever thought of that? You ever said, my eyes are bigger than my stomach? What happened there? Well, my eyes had one idea of what I want, and then there's not really room to hold it. Uh, I'm going to go run. And then your body says, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> and there's, we run into more and more times like that, don't we? Where our head thinks one thing and our body thinks something else. And so it comes across differently. And I want you to know that's really the best explanation for Jesus is the head thinks one thing and then it's up to the body to fulfill that and to carry that out. And that's our place and that's what Jesus is. And that's what we do for him as we follow Jesus. He is head of the church and all things hold together in him. And so I want you to see how big and so how huge all of this is and how much we believe this and that's what makes it able. So how is Jesus holding his church together in these times? Well, we see a lot of difficulty. And I think one of the things that we face is the fact that we want Jesus to hold it together just like it was before. I had my same spot where I sat every week, and there's no blue tape on my spot. <laughs> Somebody has moved my place, and I have to sit where there's blue tape, and how am I ever going to worship like that? And I used to sit by these people, and those people are watching from home now. And we're glad you're watching from home, by the way. But it's different, isn't it? We're trying to figure out how do we sing better, how do we pray better. How, I mean, contribution is a bucket at the end, and so please put those in. But it's just not quite the same as when somebody walked by and handed me a tray. And that's the only scriptural way to do it is somebody has to hand you a tray at the end of the pew and pass it down because after all, if we don't do it that way, it's not real church, is it? And we come to the, some of those kind of things and say, Jesus, please hold church together thinking of our tradition, thinking of what we've been used to. And that's not what he promised to hold together. I want you to realize Jesus is holding his church that he is building together. He is not necessarily holding together the things that we have always done. Not that any of those things are wrong or bad. It's just when you change circumstance and when you change situation, sometimes the way you have to do it changes. And so as you look at this, what we're doing now is absolutely great. Because all of you guys are here. It's great to see that. And we have people at home. In fact, we've got people in several different places able to watch that weren't able to be here before. The church is the people. That's what it is. It's not the traditions we've done. It's not the people who do it a certain way. The church is the people. 
those who have been redeemed, those who have been adopted, those who have been saved by this precious blood of Jesus. It's not the traditions of our childhood. It has been built on us. We are it. And it went great in Jerusalem. And Jesus built that church in Jerusalem. When Peter stood up and preached, he had the keys of the kingdom. And he unlocked that kingdom. And 3,000 people came forward that day. And they were 3,000 of them baptized. And others were kind of hesitant, didn't really know. And so some of them were the next day or the day after. And as they talked to friends and relatives, it got to be more and more. And But they had no buildings, they had no worship order, they had no Zoom, no stream, no anything. How do you do this then? Well, they they did it. Uh, And I don't know how, but they figured it out when they all got there. And we know apostles taught, and we know that, you know, without any organization, it worked because they believed. They came together for Jesus And they didn't have an organization manual, and we still don't have an organization manual. And we don't have a single service that they did. Well, I guess we've got one that I can think of, and there may be more. You can remind me afterward if I've forgotten. But the one I remember is the one where the guy fell asleep and fell out of the window dead. We still don't know how boring that sermon was, but apparently it was pretty bad, and, and he just preached so long, and uh, okay, yeah, I better get going. I don't want to have any of that going on. But we don't know what they did in any of them. The preaching we have is public preaching. It's when they were out talking to somebody else. It's when they were, you know, not in the church building in their worship together. What we have is... Peter standing up on Pentecost. What we have is Paul speaking to a king. What we have is all of the defense of the gospel and things that are not the kind of worship they did. And so we come together and we believe and we worship Jesus and we have songs that we write and we have songs that we sing. You realize every song that they would sing in that church at the beginning was a new song. You can't sing a Jewish song in a Christian church. Are you kidding? I mean, there's got to be something about resurrection and something about Messiah and Jesus in there, and you can't, you can't do it the same way. And so all of what they did was pleasing to God because they believed And they just did it God's way. And of course, then what you have coming is the the first century church does so well, but then you have persecution that happens. As if they were able to destroy them or threaten their faith or their love or their allegiance, and they can't. And so they decide, let's try violence. Let's put Peter and John in prison and we'll, we'll be violent with them and we'll threaten them and, you know, we're going to take away your apostles. And, well, that doesn't work because they still go out and preach. They still want to do things and they still see that as important. And so the next decision is, well, let's arrest all the apostles and put them in prison and Of course, then you've got the apostles being led out by angels and said, you know, go talk. Okay. 
And, and their attitude was, we must obey God rather than men. They're a little bit rebellious in all of this when they're not listening to the authorities and not listening to the people who are saying, you know, you can't teach anymore about Jesus. Yeah, we can. And they believed that and they did that and they followed that. And God gave them boldness to speak. It was a violent time. Stephen was one of the best. They were such good teachers. And yet Stephen was met with anger and violence as you see him being the first one who stoned. What are they so angry about? Well, they know it's not like it was. They know there's been a huge impact made by Jesus on the world and on his church beginning, and they're trying to stamp it out and get rid of it, and they can't. Somehow God took care of them. And it doesn't matter how angry they are or how much they threaten or how much they try to do, they can't stamp it out because Jesus took care of his church. He was holding it all together. Through times in prison, through violence, through all of these things, Jesus was holding his church together. And maybe you don't see it in in some of the things as you're living in that time, but I want you to realize we're not in the worst of times. We have a little bit of issue right now. We are not in the worst of times. But Jesus is holding his church together in that time and in ours. You see the, the violence increases in Acts chapter 8 when it says Saul approved of his execution. Wow. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But, Jesus, but Saul was ravaging the church and he entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And so Saul was there and he approved of the violence and then did more violence himself and we can see what happened. There is this great persecution that comes on. It seems to come on suddenly. All of a sudden everything's changed. It was going great and there were so many people. I mean, 3,000 the first day. Yeah, the temple will hold that much if you're in, you know, the outer court. But as you're looking at all of this and going, man, what happened? It was going so well and doing so great. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's not going so well. And what do we mean by that? We mean attendance is less. Well, that doesn't mean it's not going well. Please, let's don't adopt that as the standard of whether it's going well or not. It's by whether Jesus is glorified by his church That's what makes the difference. And so there was a day, on that day, a great persecution. It's like one day it's here and all of a sudden they have got to get out of town and they're being scattered. And it's the persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Okay. 
So now what? Well, it's the persecution against the church in Jerusalem. What if there was a church in somewhere else? Would there be a persecution? Let's think about this. Maybe we need to go to Greece. Maybe we need to go to Rome. Maybe we need a church in Macedonia. Maybe we need a church in Mexico. Maybe we need a church in El Salvador. Maybe we need a church in Venezuela. Maybe we need a church in America or Thailand. Why don't we send some people? Because Jesus, he's head of his church. And the only persecution is against the Jerusalem church. Well, we find persecution scatters just as much. But they had to think bigger. They had to think outside the box. And Jesus holds his people of faith together. So what's the difference in a prayer of faith and a prayer of fear? Because their response was to pray. I don't think it's how you feel. I think the difference is in what you pray for. Do you pray for boldness? That's what they did. If you pray for boldness, then it's got to be a prayer of faith. If you pray, please don't hurt me, you've got a prayer of fear. And so what was the outcome of our prayer? Jesus built his church. He built it out of people who were there. And it's always interesting when you start looking at the way people do things and the way people, they respond to things. Because it's interesting that when they were told, don't worship anymore, don't speak about Jesus anymore, then they had to. Right? Isn't that the way we do it? Then we have to. You can't tell me not to do that. I'm going to do that. And so you see them growing and aggressive and doing all the things that that they can just to be able to say, yes, I believe in this. I believe in Jesus and he's head of his church and I am going to speak for him. In a different time, when you tell people you have to go to church, They will find every excuse not to have to go to church. What? You're telling me I have to go to church? I don't want. And so you come down with malaria until noon. And then it gets better. And you can go play, right? Isn't that so odd that when we're told we can't do something, then we're going to insist on doing it. And when we're told we have to do something, we're going to do everything we can to get out of it. It's kind of this Tom Sawyer principle. Do you remember that far back? He's painting the fence. Huckleberry comes by. Ah, you have to paint the fence. No, I get to paint the fence. You have to paint that. No, nobody else can paint the fence like I can paint the fence. You know the story, how he talks more and more. You couldn't do this. I am doing such a good job with this that you couldn't possibly do this. Well, let me try it. No, I'm not going to let you try it. And it goes on and on until pretty soon he's painting the whole fence. Why? 
Let our faith be the thing that speaks, not the fact that somebody has said you can or you can't or you have to. And that seems to be what we do sometimes is we don't let our faith be the thing that speaks. We let it be our rebellion. They had this defiance against officials because they were going to speak for Jesus. And we can't get people to tell Jesus when it's in their neighborhood or a kid's class or any teaching. Maybe we need to do some Tom Sawyer on everybody. Even if people don't come, Jesus has built his church. And the fix is not to levitate people here or to put posters in pews or to try to fix it like it was before. It's to give people faith and to be able to have something that they can honor. We want to do what Jesus wants of us. That's the whole thing. If this is a health persecution, then we can do this. We may have some who drop out, but that's not the difference. It's who we're left with and the people who value Jesus, and that makes all the difference. We have a lot of issues right now, all kinds of them. What do we do with those? How are we ever going to solve all of those issues? It's not that there haven't been issues in the past. It's just, yeah, we've got a lot of issues. And no, I didn't write all of them on there. But yes, there's a bunch of them. And one of those is we can't come to assembly anymore. Some people are just not able to travel. Some feel like they're not safe traveling, and so they're not able to do that or don't want to do that. We have ability for them to worship together from home with all of us. And so that's a great thing. We find some people get angry over masks. And they don't want to wear a mask, or they do want to wear a mask, and they want you to wear a mask. But because you're not wearing a mask, I'm going to be mad at you. I do have the solution for that. You just wear two masks. Right? Isn't that the whole principle? You have on a mask, I have on a mask. It's two masks. Just wear two masks, and then you're going to be safe. Isn't that what you thought would protect you in the first place? Well... Yeah, somehow the logic probably won't convince them. But anyway, that's what we do sometimes. It's a Romans 14 problem almost, isn't it? One person thinks, I have to do this. Another person says, no, I'm not doing that. You can't force them. Just don't let it stop your faith. Don't let it stop what you believe. They had difficulties over meat offered to idols. We have difficulties over mass and a lot of other things going on. Do what you believe. Do what your faith says. Do what Jesus wants you to do because he is head over all of his people. And that's who we are. There's issues with race where some people feel disrespected. It's a problem. It's not solved. It was still in the time of Jesus. It was still in the time of Paul Do what Jesus wants. There was that issue in the first century. It did not stop the early church. At the same time, the early church did not solve it. 
Why? Why didn't they solve it? Well, they did what Jesus wanted. And they went everywhere planting churches. And they planted churches of all races. I think race is here to say, and I don't know that we're going to solve the issue or the difficulty of it, but I know God wants all people. He wants all of us because He is creator of everything, and He is over all, and all of us belong together. We've got an election coming up. I've heard Trump will be in town tomorrow. No hands, please. (laughs) What do we do about this? It seems like there's lots of people and lots of opinions on all sides of this. Who do we vote for? Can you vote for Rome? Or should you vote against Rome? What did the early church do? What did Jesus' people do? Well, they did what Jesus wanted. And I think we're left with one thing. They didn't solve it by deciding everyone was forced to do the same thing. Everybody could do different things according to what they believed Jesus wanted. And somehow that worked. With every single person doing what Jesus wanted, Jesus built a church without solving the issues. It isn't about solving the issues that's going to make us a strong church. It's about having a strong Savior. And that will be the difference in what we are able to do. Jesus holds his church together. And he wants you to be part of it. And he appointed leaders. And so we see what happens with him appointing leaders. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 12, he appointed leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body so that it builds itself up in love. And so he appoints leaders to equip people for the work of ministry. To put us together, right? Isn't that what it's about? For the building up of the body of Christ until we have faith, until we have maturity, until we're able to grow into this fullness of Christ that we're always able to be part of, that we're not like children who are thrown around by every different idea that comes along. Oh, what about this? What about that? What about... We're never going to solve all of the whatabouts. Because it seems like there's always one more that comes up and always a different thing. And, and, you know, some of it's regional. Some of it's in this country. Some of it's just, and some of it's global. 
But as we think about we're not going to be able to solve all of those, he does one thing here and he says, I am building my church and I want you to be mature and I want you to be full grown so that you're not thrown about like children where you can't decide and you don't know and you're swayed by everything. I want you to know what's going on. I want you to realize that this is what happens. There's a lot of deceitful schemes. And Satan would set us against each other. He's cunning. He's crafty. We need to all be together. Not like children tossed around, but we speak the truth in love. We grow up into the head. We are with Jesus who tells us what life is about. He is eternal. He sits at the right hand of God. And he builds his church today. That's what makes all the difference. And when we work together, it is beautiful. You can feel it. You know you're part of something bigger than you are. You know that you're part of something that's great. And God is glorified when his body grows because it's built by the way in which we supply everything. When we work separate, we destroy it. We destroy ourselves. It isn't what he intended. It isn't, well, let's just get it all done. No, I want you to work together to make it all happen. And we see how God is able to bring this about. So let me just ask you, what does Jesus want from you today? It'd be nice if I had that answer and could just go down the road. Well, you're supposed to do and tell every single one of you what to do. But I know the first thing you do is say, you can't make me. (laughs) Because we're not going to do that. We're going to do what we believe. And the challenge of Jesus is a challenge to be part of God. The challenge is to be part of the biggest thing God's ever done. And the biggest things God's ever done is not creation, it's build a church. What an incredible thing we're part of. And Jesus does hold all of his church together. If you're not part of that, I want you to be part of that. You need to be part of that. Because it's what he does in these times when we look around and go, I think there's a threat, but it's not a threat to us. It's where we are able to have this fullness of God. Today, if you don't have that, please come. We're able to talk to you while we stand and sing.